interview those teachers or interview those administratives that you're going to be working with day to day. And if you don't mesh well with them, be okay to look somewhere else and interview other places. You'll find where you fit in, but who you work with matters so much. All right. I'm here with Morgan, who is a sixth grade math teacher. Excited to talk with her because she is the first of, I hope, many teachers to have on the show. When I first started thinking about doing this podcast, I knew I wanted to have a lot of different teachers because it's such a popular career path, but everybody's experience is a little bit different. And so I'm excited to talk to someone who has actual on-the-job experience and uh, get her take on it. So Morgan, thanks for doing the show. For sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So normally uh, my first question out of the gate is like define what you do, but I think everybody kind of knows what a teacher is. So I'm going to skip that first question and just ask how long have you been a teacher? So this is technically year two for me. I started out as a third grade teacher and decided to take a break after one year. I went back and got my master's degree and yeah, now I'm just in technically year two, but I've done a little bit of like part-time substitute teaching in the midst of when I graduated college. So, you know, it's been a few years, but technically year two. Gotcha. Did you have any other jobs before teaching or was this your first thing out of college? First thing out of college. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And walk us through that education piece, actually, because I know it's very important as a teacher mentioned that you got your master's degree, but you had your bachelor's and you were already teaching before that. So kind of just walk us through what's the education required and what was your path? Yeah. So you do just need a bachelor's degree. You can actually have a bachelor's degree in any field. It doesn't have to necessarily be education. It helps if it's education, but yeah. So I got my first big girl job with just bachelor's degree. Uh, You do have to be certified. So you do have to, depending on which state you're in. So for Texas, you have to pass certain certification tests. I had to have two different tests to pass. It's called the PPR. And then you have your content-based exam. So I just did early child it's called EC through sixth grade. I'm certified to teach any subject from pre-K through sixth grade. And then actually this past year, I also tested out for fourth through eighth science. So I can teach up to eighth grade science. And I'm also certified uh, EC through 12th grade for ESL. So I can teach English as a second language if I wanted to do that. But um, yeah, it does. You don't have to have a master's degree. Didn't honestly think I'd ever get a master's degree. It just kind of was the way the cards fell. And But I do think there's a lot of benefits to getting it. It helped for sure, helped land the role that I'm in now. I don't think I would have been able to get the position at my specific school without my master's. Yeah, that's awesome. So going back a little bit to the certifications for teaching, how much time and preparation did you have to put into that? Like, did you study uh, a lot for them or was part of your bachelor's of education? Did that prepare you for it? What was that like? Um, so you don't, you're not allowed to take them until your final semester of college. So I took it my last semester, senior year of college, mm-hmm. and um, you have to pass them before you're able to be a full-fledged teacher. If I'm being quite honest, I did not study, but for like two or three days. Okay. And it's not as a difficult test to really study for. That sounds awful. You'd think that a teacher needs to <laughs> have a pretty difficult test, but it's it really wasn't that bad. Um, 
A lot of the job though, is just learning as you go and just hands-on. So, you know, more, most of my classes, whenever I was in school were me going out to different elementary and middle schools and, you know, being with a, uh, a different older mentor teacher and helping me and letting me be in their room and, you know, working one-on-one with kids. So, you know, the, the exam portion, the certification portion was pretty standard. It wasn't something you really had to study. That's good. So you got a lot of good hands-on experience while you were in college and you got a bachelor's of education, right? Correct. Yep. And then your master's was also in education. Yep. In higher education. So in educational administration, educational administration. So if down the line, I wanted to take on like a leadership role in education, principal admin, I could, if I would like. Yeah. A lot of those administrative positions that are kind of higher up, they typically like to see a master's degree. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. To be any sort of anything higher than a teacher with more responsibility, you have to essentially have a master's. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so you said that, you know, this is technically year two for you. I know that you've worked in a couple pretty good school districts in our area. Do you think it was the master's that was really the thing that got you your foot in the door or like to what do you owe that success in such an early part of your career? Yeah. So um, the current school district I'm with now, I think I definitely had to have that master's to get my foot in the door, especially with not having that many substantial years of teaching. That was kind of the thing that pushed my, I think my resume a little bit higher than some people. And then also just connections. My principal, my current principal is a former Aggie as well. And I went to a So it's kind of the Aggie way to help each other out. Yeah. So that goes a far way, you know, that's, it's all about connecting with people. And I think that's with any job or any field that you're in. It's Definitely. who you connect with and um, just, yeah, make those relations with, and it goes. Along. Definitely. I mean, obviously for a teacher, because a bachelor's degree is required, we're going to be talking to just college graduates as far as this podcast is concerned. So yeah, utilize that alumni network. That is really, really key, especially, you know, if you go to a a nice school with, with a lot of graduates, like, like A&M, you know, I I have a lot of friends that have gone to A&M and I think they've really leveraged that network. So yeah, yeah, use your network. It's, it's there for you. It's probably, in my opinion, it's probably the biggest piece of success that school gives you. Cause obviously you get, you get some information that's practical, but most of learning is on the job learning. And so the the point of college is a lot of that networking piece. So absolutely. Yeah. You're just further proof of that. (laughs) So Morgan, what skills do you think are most important to hone either before you get the role or as you're new in the role and you're, you're growing as a teacher? I think the number one skill I have to utilize every day, all day, every day is patience and empathy. No matter what age of kids you're working with, you have to have patience. They're kids. They're going to mess up and make mistakes. Your job requires so much as a teacher. You're not just teaching. That's one small component of what you actually do every day. So just having that, and that's just one of those natural gifts. I think that if you're patient and if you're empathetic, all right, you might have it in the cards for you to be a good teacher. You can learn it as you get older, but I think it's one of those things you're also born with and just having those people skills and, you know, being able to work well with others. As far as technical skills go, it's one of those jobs where you don't necessarily have to have a lot of those technical skills you might learn in college. It's just those, you know, essential skills that you learn as like a kid, you know, working well with others, you know, being kind to one another, having patience, extending, you know, gratitude. Like it's, it's all these things that 
you're taught as a kid that play a big role in what I do. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, obviously just the teaching being in front of a class is not the entirety of the job, obviously. So let's dive into what does a typical day look like? Like, let's really as go as detailed as you want, because I really want everybody to get a feel for like, here's what it's like to be a teacher, not just like, yeah, obviously you stand in front of the class, you tell them what they need to know, and then you test them on it. But like, what else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no day is ever the same. And that's a great, beautiful thing. And that's also a little chaotic of a thing. Yeah, it changes day to day. You know, for example, get there in the morning about 30 to 45 minutes before kids do. What time is that for you at sixth grade? So it depends just on which district you're in. But our school day technically starts at 825. But teachers have to be there by eight for tutorials. I try and get there by like 730, 745, just to make sure everything's kind of prepared and set up, make sure I have my copies done, that sort of thing. So yeah, I'll start off my day with tutorials for a few kids that might need some extra help about 25 minutes or so in the mornings. And then the way that my current school does things is I have three classes only, but my classes are, they call them double blocked. So I have one class is technically 40 minutes and another 40 minutes. So they're with me for like first and second period. Got it. Which is really great. It's, I don't know how some teachers could only teach for 40 minutes and then try and get all their material in. I need that extra 40 minutes. So, um, yeah, you know, a typical day, like you said, most people think, oh, you stand up at the board, you're, you take notes and you teach and you're good to go. And that's a very small portion. A lot of it is classroom management. And a lot of that is you learn as you go. I'm still very much learning at that. And I know that some of my colleagues that have been there for 25 years still are learning that. Because the great thing about teaching is that each year is different because you have different kids. Classes are going to be configured differently and different content. There's all sort of factors that go into it. So it's always going to be different. You know, my three classes are very different from one another. So just managing that behavior, though, that classroom management is probably, I want to say close to 60 or 70% of what my actual job entails. Just managing, making sure that, you know, kids aren't arguing over here in the corner or, you know, someone's not rolling around on my carpet or, you know, the (laughs) wild things that actually happen on a day-to-day basis. But on a good day, it's me pulling small groups in the back of my classroom. Students are working, you know, independently or with a partner around the room or at their seats. So that's kind of the gist of what my normal classes look like. I do have a conference period that I try and plan on, or I sit in what's called a 504 meeting. So 504 meetings are when students have a special plan in place where they have like certain accommodations that they get. So maybe they need extra time on a test or questions read to them on a test. They have a 504 plan in place. So I meet on those probably once every two weeks or so for my kids. And we just discuss with the parent everything that's in place. Do we like it? Do we want to keep it going, you know, going forward? Do we have any changes we want to make to it? That's normally what happens. And yeah, it's a lot of just planning and working with kids and other adults in the building. So yeah, you're, you're busy. You're always on your toes. I know I touched on this earlier, just about, I think it might've been off mic, but how late I stay each day. And that, yeah, that definitely varies the, um, I'm sure we'll get into it later, the work-life balance. It's, it's intense. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, we, you mean you don't work just 40 hour work weeks we and then get all these extra days off throughout the year. I thought teacher was being a cushy job, man. Man, you know, that sounds wonderful, but um, no, it's, 
it's not. Those breaks do make up for it sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a challenging job. And I think any teacher, any honest teacher will tell you that it's it's not easy, but it can be worth it. And you know, if you have the passion. Sorry, I kind of got off on a tangent there. No, it's all it's all relevant to the job. <laughs> How much do you I may ask this question, you may laugh at me. Do you ever get breaks throughout the day? Is it is it just go, go, go from the time that you're there till you know you get home and then maybe then some, what does that look like? Yeah, you know, it depends. And and I only have it really, really my perspective is off of two different districts. So my first year was in one district and a different grade. This year it's different district, different grade. My first district, no, it was go, go, go. I had a 20 minute lunch. I had to ask some another teacher to step in the room if I had to use the restroom because he can't leave. So it was like you were on your toes constantly. Very blessed to say that this job that I'm in now, I'm also teaching older kids, but I have a 40 minute lunch and I have an extra conference period. So I do get some breathing time most days, kind of sit down and I can eat my lunch in peace and I can, you know, just have a few minutes to myself. So it is a lot better of a balance for sure. That's good. How much time do you think you spend on lesson planning and grading and like other administrative tasks? Each day? Yeah. Or just like as a percentage overall of what you do, however you want to quantify it. Yeah. You know, I would say I'll go by week just because I, I try and plan my lessons for like each week, probably weekly. It's, I would say two to three hours for a week, depending on what content you're teaching. If it's a, a testing level, you know, I teach a tested subject, which math has a star test. So um, it depends on that, but I would say about three hours each week. And then it goes into also the answering parent emails and emails from administration. And, you know, administration's always liking to roll out new programs that we're not ready for. And, you know, so there is a lot of behind the scenes that I think people don't understand teachers juggle with other than just standing up there and teaching a class. Yeah. And I know they call it different things in different districts, but do you have additional duties that teachers are required to do? Like some of them have coaching duties or field trips or other things like that. Do they ever call on you for that? Yeah. So we do have, um, with my current district, we have duty once a week. So we have, um, it might be like working carpool duty, or it might be bus line duty or, you know, morning drop-off duty. Basically it's about 30 minutes extra of time that it's tacked onto one of your days that you're just helping out where they might not have volunteers for. Again, it way different than when I was at my other school district. I had that every day, whereas now I have it one day a week. So, so it really does depend on that district. For sure. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like time management is a key skill though, regardless of how lovely the district is that you work in because yeah, they require a lot from you. Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. Actually, I I struggled so much with time management after my first year that, you know, I was frustrated that I was leaving work at like seven or eight and I'd sometimes, you know, come home in tears. I had a very smart mentor tell me, why don't you start setting timers on your phone? She said, set a timer. And once the timer goes off, leave, no matter what you're doing, leave. And I was like, well, that's silly. It's just a timer. I mean, I'm going to just, you know, silence it or snooze it or whatever. And she said, no, just leave. And I did that. And I was like, wow, I'm so much happier of a person. I feel so much more at balance in my personal and work life, which is in turn going to make me a better teacher. And so I've tried to stick to that mentality as much as possible this year and just leaving not crazy late. I am. I'm a much happier teacher, much happier person. So just understanding that time management, work-life balance, it's hard. And it's hard when you're in your first or second or 
you know, first few years. Yeah. It's a skill that has to be developed over time. Absolutely. But the quicker that you can develop it, the better off you'll be. And maybe realizing in those first early years as a teacher, Hey, you can get better at this. This is a skill too. You know, it's, it's easy once, once you get going and you're in a rhythm and you're, you're working on lesson planning or grading or whatever else it is to let the time go by. And then, yeah, it's seven o'clock at night and that becomes a routine and then you never are at home, but it really is okay to block off specific amounts of time. And then say, when, when this time chunk is done, I'm done and we'll take it from there. Yeah. You talked a little bit about classroom management. I think that's a really important thread to pull on because you said it was so important to the job. Any tips for classroom management that you've picked up that you would share with a new teacher? I would love to know some tips. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'll find some. Yeah, I know. There's Hey, there's some good ones out there, but I think it's just a trial and error process. It's being willing to try things and have them not work out, to have them fail and say, okay, it didn't work, but I'm going to try something else. Or maybe it does work. And you, you stick with that for that year. But, you know, I told you earlier, my three classes are so different. So the classroom management things that I used for my first period class would never work for my next class. So it's just knowing who your kids are, knowing their personalities and what's going to make them tick, what's going to make them motivated. So I've used a couple of examples. I've done Jolly Rancher Wars. So I compete against my different classes and it's something as simple as having tally marks on my front whiteboard and I'll give them tally marks throughout the week for doing, you know, oh, everyone did their homework tonight or everyone's on task or people aren't talking whenever I am. And uh, the class that gets the most tally marks at the end of the week, they all get Jolly Rangers and you would be surprised how motivated a sixth grader is for a Jolly Ranger. (laughs) Like I will happily buy you all the Jolly Ranchers if you can give me yours. So that's worked well. Positive reinforcement. I know that you hear that word a lot and it's quote on trend to hear, but it really does work. Just noticing those kids that go above and beyond and calling them out for it. You know, they want to be recognized and nine times out of 10, if you say, oh, little Johnny is doing great. Like, wow, I love the way he's working. Everyone else is like, well, I want to be like, John. I'm going to, you know, I want to get complimented because they all want praise by their teacher. Morgan, in your day to day, what do you look forward to the most? It can be something small or big, but like, what do you look forward to as part of your day? You know, it's really my favorite thing is when I come back on a Monday, and that, that sounds crazy, but when, it does. when I come back on a Monday after a weekend, <laughs> um, I love my weekends, but when I come back, seeing my kids after the weekend and hearing about what they did that weekend, I love to hear about their interests. You know, maybe they won their football game or they had a recital. And the fact that they want to share that with me means a lot because they care about they care about me and they want me to know what's going on in life. So that's, that's huge to me. I love it. Whenever a kid's little light bulb goes off, like I'm working with them one-on-one and they've been struggling with something for a week or two. And it's like, they're so frustrated. They don't get it. But then like, maybe you try it one more time and somehow it clicks for them. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so easy. Miss Hall. Why didn't I do this? It's like, yes, I've been asking (laughs) you to just do this for one week, but now it works. And so you live for those little moments. They make all the difference. So we've touched a little bit on like the work-life balance. I think this is a good time to kind of jump in a little bit to it. When the school year is going, if you could put a number to it, how many hours a week do you think you typically work? And then when you're on break, whether it's like spring break or summer break or whatever other break is going on, are those really breaks for you? Or do you do a lot of extra work in addition to that? Yeah. So typical average week, um, it's not 40 hours. I would say it's closer to 
50 to 55. Okay. And that depends if I'm bringing home papers to grade at home or if I'm pushing it off till the next week. So I would say on average about 50 to 55 hours. And then as far as those breaks go, I've tried a couple of different ways. Um, I've tried having breaks where I don't do anything and I'm just enjoying the whole break to myself and it's great. But then I come back and like, oh gosh, I could have done this over break and I'm stressed when I come back. I've also tried like, okay, I'm going to go up to the school for one day over break, take care of some things. And that way it's easier when I come back. So I guess to answer your question, yes, you do get a break on those breaks. Um, you get a, a decent break, but you've worked for those breaks and you deserve those. So it's never something to feel guilty about. So yeah, for the most part you do now summer breaks and summer breaks pretty long. Um, you don't obviously get all of that. You do have professional development meetings. You have to go to workshops, conferences, you know, to get those professional development hours, you know, you still get a good significant time off. So you, you live for those breaks. Those breaks are, they are everything. I kind of see it as, you know, I think a lot of people have different opinions on whether teachers are, you know, overworked or they get too many breaks off. I kind of see it just kind of like how a fireman is like when they're at the fire station, they're there 24 seven, you know, they may be three days on four days off and you're like, Oh, you get four days off. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, it is. But I worked long hours for when I was there. And so I think I kind of see a teacher more like that, where it's like when the school year is going, it's not 40 hours a week, you're going to be working. And then those breaks are well-earned. You're getting those. Yeah. You're getting that time off that you should have got during the year. So yeah, yeah, you're totally right. It's, you know, it's, it all balances out. I think it's just extreme one end and then more extreme the other end. Yeah. Morgan, what's the most challenging part of the job to you? Gosh, I think it's the time management. I think it's just, there's so much on a teacher's plate. You know, it's those administrative tasks. It's the talking to parents, parent conferences, teaching, just classroom management. There's so much that is on a teacher's plate and there's just not enough. There's never enough time. And I know that that's, you know, pretty common for any job that you're in, no matter what field, but, um, it's a consistent story amongst teachers. It is. It is. There's just teachers are overworked, especially, you know, nowadays, um, everything that, that goes on. And there is a lot of burnout. Teachers are leaving at a higher rate than they have ever before. Substitute teachers, we're desperately needing them in our district. So much so when teachers are out, we are having to cover other teachers' classes during our lunch periods and our conference periods because there's just not enough people willing to fill in. So you know, it's, it's a sad, scary thing to, to realize, but yeah, you know, it's a hard job. It can be worthwhile. This is kind of maybe a little bit off topic, but if you could wave a magic wand, is there one or two fixes where you'd be like, dude, if we could do this and we could do this, it would severely improve the teaching profession overall. I think the behavior, the kids behavior, if I could do that, I think that's where a lot of my time goes is just fixing those behavior issues. And so if I didn't have to do that and it was just like, oh, everyone's going to magically listen to me instead of me having to get onto them three or four times, yeah. um, I would probably save so much time in my day and maybe get other things accomplished that I didn't have to do. That makes sense. Okay. What's the best part of your job, Morgan? What do you love the most about it? Best job or best part of my job is, um, yeah, just working with the kids. They're so funny. They, you know, I will say if anyone's listening to this, that does aspire to be a teacher, find the grade level that works for you, find the subject that works for you because there are, you know, K through 12, that's a big variety a big range. 
is. Yeah. And all the subjects that you could teach, you know, I used to teach third grade, which was about eight and nine year olds. And I taught all subjects. Um, so I planned all subjects and I found out quickly that that was a lot to plan for. And then I tried this year, I'm trying sixth grade, just one subject, which is math. It's so nice to plan only one subject. And I love working surprisingly enough with like middle school age students. They're so funny. They're sarcastic and it just works well with my personality. So it's, you know, find those kids that find that age that you really could see yourself liking. Yeah. I actually really like that age too. I think a lot of people give, you know, middle schoolers flack and rightfully so it's an awkward, it's an awkward stage, but it's also can be a sweet time in their life. They really are transitioning from being little kids to little young adults. Like they're just starting to get there. And so their passions and their interests are really starting to develop and you, you can really meet them where they're at. So I like that age group as well. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything that you wish that you knew about the job or about the teaching industry or education in general when you were first starting out? What would Morgan now tell younger Morgan? Um, that it's going to change. You know, I had this envision. I, I always thought that I would be a teacher since I was a little kid. I played school. I was always teacher. But that it's it's not going to be the same as what I thought it was whenever I was a student, whenever I was back in like sixth grade. You know, middle school now is not the same as it was when I was in school. It's going to continually change. The format of school is changing. The way that we teach is always changing. So just understanding that and being okay with the fact that like, it's not going to maybe look like what you had envisioned it to look like. I do a lot of things digitally that I never thought I would have done as a sixth grade teacher, whenever, you know, envisioning what I thought my classroom would look like, but that's okay because that's what works now for kids. It's just a different time. So, um, you know, just having realistic expectations, you know, just getting yourself out there, trying substitute teaching if you're, you know, of age to try and do that or, you know, finding volunteer opportunities to work with kids, making sure that you like kids. Yes. Believe it or not, there are teachers that I've worked with that it's like, do you really like kids? I mean, because it doesn't seem like you do. And that's what our job entails. So I think we've all had that teacher that didn't like the kids and you could, you yeah. can tell, you can feel it, you know. Oh, they know. <laughs> kids are smart. Smart. They are so intuitive. They know. And it's like, my gosh, you picked probably the wrong profession. So figure that out first, sooner rather than later. Well, literally my very next question on the docket was who would be a great fit for this career? And then who might think that they're a good fit for this career, but might find out that it's not for them. So obviously we've already covered, probably you should at least be able to tolerate kids at the bare minimum. (laughs) Any other insights? You know, it's great for people that don't want to be tied to a desk. I'm never, you know, I I say I probably sit at my desk for maybe an hour or so out of the nine hours I'm there each day. So that's a benefit. That's nice at least for me and my personality, I appreciate not being tied to a desk, but some people like that stability and like being in an office environment or being to use the restroom whenever they please. You know, that's just, that's not, that's not an opportunity for us. When I think that that's a perk of the job, but maybe it is. Oh, it is. Yeah. So just being aware of that, see what else? Gosh. Um, here's, here's maybe another way to ask the question. I, we mentioned burnout that, you know, a lot of teachers do leave, especially early on. Why do people leave? What is it about? Is it just the workload or is it not enough support? Like what have you seen? It's definitely workload, but it's also, yeah, it is support. It's lack of respect a lot of the time, which is sad because that's something that could be so easily changed. Yeah. Respect doesn't cost money. It doesn't cost, you know, people to invest in a program. You know, and we saw that 
whenever COVID hit last year, it seemed like people finally started to recognize those essential workers, those people that don't get often the recognition (laughs) that they should. But, um, and then people recognized, oh, teachers do a lot. And then that quickly kind of slid off the radar. And now it's back to like, eh, you know, whatever. So yeah, you know, just respecting teachers there, there's just a lack of that. I think just, yeah, putting all the workload balance, putting all the things that is on our plates is a lot, you know, sometimes it's lack of support from your administration. Luckily, I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot with my administration. They're That's very good. supportive. They're always willing to help and want to hear from us, which is really important because we're the ones that are in the classrooms every day. So they want our opinions. And that's, you know, my advice would be find administrative's fine principals and assistant principals that want to hear your opinion, want to hear your voice, because you're the one that's on the front line. You're the one that is working with those kids every day. So, you know, find those administrative's that want to hear from you and yeah. make it a better workplace for you. And you'll be, you'll be, you know, set to go. Yeah, that's good. How do you deal with the stress that comes with any job, but teaching specifically? Do you have any specific coping mechanisms? What do you do to, I guess, either let loose or or whatever you do? Well, it sounds simple, but reminding myself throughout the day, every day almost, that they are kids. They are 11 and 12 years old and they're going to make mistakes. They're going to mess up. Don't expect them to be perfect and give them grace. At the end of the day, they're my kids. I love all of them. They really, they feel like my kids. You know, I don't have children of my own yet, but they're my family. You know, they spend, in all actuality, they spend more time at school with their teachers than they do at home. And so, you know, that means a lot. Just loving on them and giving them a second chance, even when it feels like they don't deserve it. So just reminding myself of that, like, okay, don't let your day be ruined about something silly that a 12-year-old boy said that probably has no value at all. You shouldn't take that into account. Don't let it ruin your day. So it's just like recognizing perspective, I think is the big thing. Taking deep breath, being willing to say, okay, you know what? We're going to stop class for a second. Things aren't working. We all need to take a break. Like let's go have a reset, have a reset. We're going to go, you know, everyone go grab a drink of water, go take a lap around the school. You know, we'll go take a lap around the hallway, come back, restart you know, just do what you need to do. I mean, bottom line, you know, what works best for you, you know, what you need, you know, what your kids need, just be willing to do what you need to do. Yeah. And be empowered to be the adult, you know, like you really can take control of the situation. And I would imagine there are some districts that maybe don't allow teachers enough freedom to make those decisions. But if you Uh, it's probably better to assume that you have the ability to, you know, take control of the situation as opposed to just hoping that things work out. Okay. If, if something's not working, you really can like, Hey, let's, let's stop all this. Let's do a little reset where let's pick back up, you know, whatever you need to do. That's good advice. Yeah. You're the adult in the room. You are qualified to be in there. You are qualified to leave the classroom. Remind yourself of that. Sometimes it's easy to forget and you're like, no, wait, I've got this. I have control of the room, regain control of the room if you lose it. Do you think imposter syndrome is common amongst teachers that are brand new in their career? 
Oh yeah. Especially for me. I mean, I feel, feel like I have a baby face. And so I feel like I fit right in with like the middle schoolers and some of them are like, like soaring over me. They're so tall. And yeah, I feel like, how do I feel old enough to be able to teach these kids? I feel like I was just myself. So absolutely. Yeah. And it, it feels kind of fake. I'm like, okay, I don't feel old enough to be a teacher, but I guess I am. We're rolling with it. <laughs> We touched on this a little bit earlier, Morgan, but I kind of want to get your take on just the industry in general. How important do you think to get that first teaching job? How important is it to network or be a teacher's assistant or get volunteer experience versus just applying for jobs or going through some type of program? Like, How do you see most people get that first teaching job? And do you think they go about it the right way? I know that's kind of a lot of questions packed into one, but I think it makes sense. Well, the unique thing about teaching is that it's not like your typical job field where you get an internship and then you know you meet you connect and you network with people. Yes, you do network with people in teaching, but you know, there is obviously such a demand for teachers that if you're qualified, yeah, you can probably get a job somewhere. It's not too difficult to do, at least right now in today's good or society. Now, quality, that's different. And being in a good place and good people, um, those are harder to come by. You know, like I told you earlier, I had experience volunteering at my church. I worked with kids there. You know, I substitute taught. I volunteered even in high school and would go over to like elementary schools and help them. So I had a quite a bit of experience working with kids. The more experience, the better, I think, just so that you're prepared to work with kids and, um, and then finding out that age range, you know, it's kind of a shot in the dark, like, Oh, well, what grade do you want to teach when you're going into your first year? Like, I don't know, just kids. I don't know. And so it's kind of like trial and error. Hey, you try one year, maybe, maybe you decide kindergarten's not for me. You will learn that really quick if it is, or if it's not. So, you know, getting your feet wet for sure. But most people, I think that I graduated with had some form of experience. They volunteered or they substitute taught, or they just had experience around kids. Morgan, this may be a little bit difficult to answer, but what do you think is the biggest misconception about teaching? Like what do people throw at you? And you're like, that's, that's not what I do, or that's not true. Um, I mean, we already touched on it. The breaks off. I mean, yeah. a lot of people work <laughs> their breaks. It's like, well, yeah, that's, we don't have them. It's not a free for all, but um, ironically enough is just teaching the aspect. People think that you're up there teaching all day. And that's just not the case. There's so many, you're micromanaging so many other things like we've touched on throughout this podcast is that you're juggling so many balls. It's not teaching is just one small component of it. Yeah. So there, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. Any of your favorite teachers that you've ever had, they don't, they have done so much behind the scenes that you have no idea about. There's so much that goes into it. So just thinking that, oh, they have it easy. They're just going up, working with kids, teach a lesson, and then they go back and sit at their desk. It's like, that's not what happens. <laughs> it's at not all. all it is. Yeah. That's not. So yeah, definitely a big misconception. Yeah. So normally at this point, I ask some type of question about different income ranges, like starting out middle end, obviously with teaching, it's usually more public information. So it's a little bit easier to find. Yeah. So I'm going to change the question a little bit. You have a master's degree and I know that that usually Mm -hmm. comes with a little bit of a pay bump. Yeah. Talk to me about what you feel is the return on investment of getting a master's degree versus not. Are you saying, yeah, that was definitely worth it for your situation? Is it usually the case? What would you say to that? Yeah. So financially speaking, no, I'd be happy to tell you it is all public information. The stipend that you get for a master's is a thousand dollars each year. So it takes a while to 
get back what you put into that. It's nice, but it's certainly not the end all be all reason to go seek out a master's degree. It's more for the resume bump that it might give you or the future opportunities it might give you if you're wanting like a leadership role, but financially speaking, no. And, and like you said, you know, teaching is part of, if you're teaching, if you're a public school teacher, you're in the public sector. So you're government funded, you know, you're at the the will of government taxpayers dollars. And, you know, luckily um, in DFW, it's the best place to be a teacher in Texas, financially speaking. So, you know, fortunate for that, but it is, it just depends on what state you're in and what, you know, metropolitan area you're in. And I know obviously every state does it a little bit differently, but if you're willing to stick it out and have a long-term career in teaching, I know that there is a pension, you know, obviously it's not like the end all be all, just a ton of money, but pensions tend to work better for, I would just say middle-class people than like a 401k or something else, just because I used to do some work in finance. And then I, so I've just, I've looked into this kind of stuff before and I know pensions can be really nice. It, it really does allow you to live, you know, not like the high life, but it allows you to reap back some of that income that you had during your working years and, and know that you've got it until, until you pass on. So that's yeah. a, that's another potential perk of being a teacher. For sure. You know, and it's funny enough, I actually met yesterday during my lunch period um, with a financial advisor that works with the district employees and he was laying it all out there for me. Cause I've never, I was never taught that I was never told, okay, here's how you invest because we don't have social security as a teacher. You have TRS in Texas. And uh, you have a 403B instead of a 401K. And so there's just different things that, you know, it's just different than what most people experience. So I learned as of yesterday, all these things, I was like, oh, I should probably be putting my money in here so that it's growing. And, uh, you know, just make sure that you're advocating for yourself in that form, because that's something I was never told or taught about, even in college, that's vital to your well-being. Definitely. Financial planning is important no matter what career path you're in. Absolutely. I just have a few more questions. I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Before I get into those, do you feel like we've missed anything? Are there any other points that you want to like circle back to and talk more about? How do you feel? I feel pretty good. I feel like my perspective on teaching has been displayed pretty accurately. Good. Uh, you've heard about the the good and yeah. the not so good that comes with it. So I think it's an honest, an honest perspective. Good. All right. So then let's jump into these last two questions. Do you have any funny or interesting on the job stories or any awful horror stories that you would be willing to share with everybody? Well, how, much, how much time do you have? <laughs> I know. I, see, asking a teacher that question is like asking a cop. I feel like you could fill up a whole podcast with just those stories. You know, I have a good teacher friend that has a journal that she'll just jot down and I need to make one because I you forget all of the funny things that kids That would be say. a good website idea, like just a blog for like for teachers to share like all they probably <laughs> probably exists. Oh my gosh. I mean, but the problem is, is that if you're not a teacher or not in education, you'd probably think we're making this stuff up. <laughs> um, we're not. It happens. It is ridiculous. And it's almost every day. There's something crazy that goes on and you start to just become immune to it. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm used to that. Let me think of like a PG rated one. So, okay. We were taking notes the other day. This is about a week or two ago. And I have a little overhead projector so they can copy down my notes that I'm putting on the board. And one kid goes, Miss Hall, you have such nice handwriting. And they're like, how do you have such nice handwriting? And then one kid goes, it's because she's old, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, they're like, yeah, I think I see a gray hair. And I was like, like, I'm stop, guys. Years old. Stop. 
<laughs> so they will be um, brutally honest with you. Yes. Whether and if they sense can... weakness, I would imagine they, they just oh, go then they crazy. Just jab at it more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you gotta be strong. Um, yeah. They, they are not afraid to hurt your feelings. They'll be brutally honest, yeah. like, okay, but they're fine. Yeah. Good. I, I like that though. That's funny. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's mean to yeah, laugh at the middle schoolers, but yeah, I mean, I remember being a middle schooler and just being, oh, yeah. you know, you, you don't have that filter yet. You don't realize that. Yeah. Uh, your words can hurt, but with that comes, you can also say some kind of funny things sometimes. So. Oh yeah. You yeah. learn to get a thick skin, develop <laughs> much thicker skin. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> So last question, Morgan, what's the best practical advice you would give to someone who wants to succeed as a teacher, whether it's getting that first job or just once they've got that first job, how to, how to get better? Well, I wish that someone would have told me fresh out of college that it's not me necessarily just interviewing for this school. It's the school is also looking at me, right? But I need to see, okay, interview, do these people align with the people that I went with? Are they the types of personalities that I would mesh well with? I think for me, I was so desperate and I might not be the right word, but I was so anxious to get my first job that out first of first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just like, okay, I don't care what it is, where it is, just give it to me that I don't think I was picky enough. And, you know, some people think, well, you don't really deserve to be picky. It's your first year out of college. But when it comes to your well-being and your happiness in your it job, it matters. And so interview those teachers or interview those administratives that you're going to be working with day to day. And if you don't mesh well with them, be okay to look somewhere else and interview other places. You'll find where you fit in, but who you work with matters so much. It makes a good day, a good day or an awful day and even worse day. So just please, please, please. I wish I could go back and tell myself that like, take your time. You're going to be fine. You're going to get a job, but interview at different places and see what you like. And then, uh, gosh, what was the rest of your question? I'm so sorry. No, that uh, just practical advice that you would give to someone if they're trying to get that first job or how to succeed Yeah. once they're in the job. Um, so yeah, just definitely those relationships and the people that you work with. And then I would say too, just that time management piece, like we already talked yeah. about being okay to, you know, maybe take a day. I actually took Monday off this week because I took a day for myself. I had no reason to take it off other than I have days I'm going to use them. And I just needed to step away and it's okay. It doesn't make you any less of a teacher or a professional. Sometimes you just need those mental health days. Yeah. Take the days you're entitled to folks. Like you can be a really hard worker and when you're on, you're on, but it's important to take those mental health days when you're allowed to be off be off, go do something fun or go do absolutely nothing on the couch all day long. If that's what you need, that's, that's good advice. Yeah. And don't feel guilty about it. You know, don't feel guilty about taking those days. They're your days, you know, use them. Yeah. And one more piece, as you were talking, I, I thought of this and I just think it fits in so well with what you were saying is nothing's forever. You know, if you find yourself in a in a good school district or a bad school district, it's not like you're choosing the job that you're going to be in forever and ever. You know, our, our parents' generation and previous generations maybe stayed at a place for a long, long time. And kudos to you if you find a place that you love and you want to stay there forever. Like, that's great. But don't feel more pressure than it actually is. You're really interviewing for that year and maybe the next few years. Right. But 
if the situation turns bad, you have the ability to find other opportunities. There are other school districts. If you're, you know, if you hone your craft and you don't burn bridges and you continue to, you know, network within your field and talk to people, there are going to be other opportunities out there for you. So don't be afraid, you know, 22 year old listening to this right now, like it really is okay. If you get into a bad school district, yeah, it's just a year of your life, you know, and you can try again next year. You know what? And I had, that was my experience for that first year. It was not my favorite. I was struggling to make it and ask anyone in my life. I was struggling and had one of my really good friends told me that she said, this is temporary. This is not permanent. This does not have to be the next 60 years of your life. It's the next seven months until school's over. Mm -hmm. Then you can reevaluate. You can pivot. It's okay to find, try something. If it doesn't work, allow yourself to move on and try something else. No one says that this has to be the end all be all. It does not. Don't put yourself, don't put that pressure on yourself. You're so right. That's such good life advice because I, I think our generation is starting to get that where, you know, and that's why we're seeing so many people resign jobs that yeah. no longer work for them, but it really matters. You know, your mental health matters. And obviously you don't want to quit at the first sign of adversity that it's important that you're resilient, but put a date on it. Say, you know what? I can do anything for seven months. I'm yeah. going to make it through this seven months and then I'm going to reevaluate my options. And yeah. That's how I got through hard portions of my life, whether it was school or something else going on. You really, you can, and you'll be more resilient for doing it. Exactly. Put a date on it. And then it doesn't make it seem so big. It doesn't make it seem so overwhelming. It's like, oh, I got this. There's an end date to this. If it's not like ominous, it's never going to end. I don't know when it's going to end. Then it seems scarier. But if you can put an end date on it or have something to look forward to, it makes it, it really does. Yeah. So I I really like that kind of as an ending place for this podcast. If you're in a job, whether it's teaching or something else that you're really not happy with, and you feel like you've had the thought, oh, am I going to be doing this for the rest of my life? Is this forever? Take inventory and see, is this just a temporary thing or am I going to need to pivot and set a date? That's a really good piece of advice. It allows for a light at the end of the tunnel. And then if by that date, things aren't better, then you have permission Go mm-hmm. on, explore other opportunities because they are out there and you're not going to be ruined forever because you left a place that didn't treat you right or for whatever reason, it, it's not a fit. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really like that. that. Yep. That's You're good. So well, Morgan, this has been an awesome interview. I super enjoyed it. I felt like I learned a lot. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, I had a blast. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. We'll talk soon. All righty. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time.